about Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Dan Steer. He'll be answering your questions on backpack fly fishing. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Dan a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right-hand column. Just fill in your name and your email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Think doing businesses ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Dan Steer about backpack fly fishing. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams, and just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience in coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at bajaflyfish.com. Again, that's bajaflyfish.com. Before we introduce Dan, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International, and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win in our drawing tonight. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Dan's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also give, be giving away a copy of Dan's latest book, Backpack Fly Fishing, courtesy of Skyhorse Publishing. To find out more about what Skyhorse has to offer in books, go to skyhorsepublishing.com, and you can check out all the books that they have available there. So here's how you can win Dan's book tonight. You've got to be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question will be about something that Dan and I talk about during the show, and you must submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on our homepage. So listen closely, take good notes, and um, type fast, and uh, maybe you'll win Dan's book. Our guest tonight is Dan Steer. Dan has been fly fishing for over 30 years. During that time, he has fished in the eastern and western United States and in the maritime provinces of Canada, catching trout, bass, panfish, saltwater fish, and salmon. Dan spent his career over 40 years as an educator with over 20 years as a university professor, and he has published three books and more than 35 journal articles and books chapters on topics related to special education and rehabilitation. He currently lives in Pocono region of eastern Pennsylvania. His most recent book, Backpack Fly Fishing, 
is his first book on fishing and reflects his philosophy of traveling light, fishing for anything that swims, and using simple equipment. Dan, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you, Roger. It's great to be here. Well, good to have you. And uh, we're coming into some really fine fishing uh, time of year right now, right? I'm oh, sure yeah, it's going to be good. As well. Yeah, September's Absolutely. my favorite time of year. Uh, so, um, yeah, and uh, you get those nice those nice hardwood colors that we don't get here out uh, out west. Absolutely. Must be. And we just need a little more rain to, to bring up the levels in the streams. They're a little bit low right now. They yeah. were high for all of spring, and then, then we just had sort of a dry spell, and they're a little low now. But, but I think we're turning the corner to the nice weather and, and just get a little more water in the streams, and we'll be ready to hit, hit that. And then the, the lakes are doing well for bass as well. So it is a great time. Well, good, good, good. Lots to look forward to. So backpack fly fishing. Um, you know, in your mind, what is backpack fly fishing? For me, it's it's uh, it's an approach, but it's also kind of a philosophy of of uh, as you said in the introduction, traveling very light. You know, not carrying a lot of stuff, and uh, just you know, for me, whatever I can put into a, a pretty small to medium sized day pack. You know, the kind of packs you see kids carrying their books to school. That's about what I use. And the approach that I you know that I use is not the only approach I use. I mean, I sometimes go out, you know, have my vest and my waders and, you know, go full bore for trout or whatever, and, you know, or, or, you know, however I'm fishing. But a lot of times I just want to carry, you know, I want to go light. And I may not even be going fishing. I just got into the habit of grabbing my pack whenever we're going to go for a hike someplace or go on, you know, on a trip and uh, found that it just really it started to lead towards, opportunities to fish when I wasn't even re- really ready to be fishing, if you know what I mean. I know we just came across a stream or a pond in our hiking and, and decided that it would be a, a fun time to try. So, And when I didn't have my pack, I started to find those were the times I'd come across a great place, usually some unnamed stream or little pond someplace that I had never even seen or heard of, and that's when I really wish I had my stuff. So I started carrying the pack for that reason. The other reason, too, is because as educators, both my wife and I would always go on our major vacation in the summer. And we always, because it was warm, we'd always head north. And we like Canada. So we'd go on big trips where we'd, you know, uh, combine camping and then also maybe staying in, you know, a motel here and there, particularly when we got rained out. Um, and the car started to get more and more full, particularly after we had two sons. So, you know, it started to become harder and harder for me to bring a lot of equipment. So, quite frankly, it just became a matter of necessity to bring, you know, just a very, very small amount of equipment. And by small amount, it's uh, basically a fly rod and reel, one fly box, a couple of liters, and uh, and pretty much that's it. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into more detail on that here in a minute. Um, Phil McCartney in uh, Kentucky wrote in and, and said, uh, there are many reasons why fly fishing generates a depth of feeling that it does among us. Years ago when I was arriving at the FFF Conclave, Federation of Fly Fishers um, Conclave, and saw Lefty Cray in the parking lot, I got, parking lot, I got so excited I almost ran off the road. I knew I was going to learn a lot from Lefty and others during the Conclave. Please uh, share your thoughts about the aspects of backpack fly fishing that are exciting, perhaps fishing water that is new to you, or a calming like fishing with a friend with whom you have shared so many trips that do not require conversation. Right, right. Um, and, you know, uh, Phil is absolutely right. There's a lot of things about fly fishing 
that we all love. And, uh, you know, I am certainly uh, have been one of those people. I just love gathering, in, you know, books about fly fishing. I have been guilty of gathering too many fly fishing or fly rods and too many pieces of equipment and fly boxes and and so there's that aspect of the collection the collection part and the learning part. The other aspect I think that's most calming to me now is just the the simplicity. Um, I find as I get older that sometimes having more of things does not necessarily make does not necessarily make me happy. Uh, in other words, it's sometimes the less things I have, the happier I am, you know, and kind of uh, back to that simple type of philosophy, and I really like that. The other thing I like about um, the backpack fly fishing approach is, as I said earlier, you know, many times we're, you know, when I go with my family and we're going for a hike someplace, you know, we may all be doing different things. For example, my wife doesn't fish, but she is a photographer, and um, we both like birding. And so many times we'll just be out hiking, and I'll I'll be able to fish, you know, even though I'm with people who don't fish. And I like that. I like the fact that you can just go as a group of people, and as long as long as the other people in the group don't mind you pausing every now and then to you know to put together your fly rod, take a few casts, and then move on, then you can all have a good time together doing different things. So it doesn't require that you go either by yourself or necessarily with other people who are into fly fishing. I also like the challenging part of it, quite honestly, of trying to figure out if I'm going to be minimalist, what's the minimal amount of stuff I can get away with? I mean, the extreme of that is the one fly kind of approach, you know, and I don't go that far. But I do try to look at it and say, well, what's the the less I can get away with and have it work, knowing that, you know, I may come across a situation where I wish I had another fly, but that's okay, you know. Good there, Dan? Yep, I'm here. I'm hearing some other noise. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to. Okay, I think I just uh, got that muted out. Okay, I think we had somebody okay. on the line that uh, wasn't muted out. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, no problem. Yeah, it's uh, you know that's what I was going to ask about the mindset because it seems to me you know my mindset like for instance I'm getting ready to go on a two week trip here at the end of the month and. Uh, Getting all this gear together, getting the getting the boat ready. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of prep, time flies, you know, ordering this or that. It, it seems like there's, you know, and, and spending hundreds of dollars that, you know, I don't yeah. know why I need to spend more hundreds of dollars, but it seems like that's always the case. Uh, yep. So, you know, going back to a, a simplistic approach. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, you bring out some good, good it, it kind of brings out uh, the aspects of me that, that I do recognize, but, you know, I do like to collect things, <laughs> collect flies, <laughs> right. collect rods. I think a lot yeah, of us absolutely. are that way. Yeah, absolutely, it's, and I'm, I'm the same way. It's And so this is not the only way I fish. This is just an I found to be a, another alternative, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have, I've got a vest that's full of a million boxes. I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> right now of, of uh, a number of years ago, my friend Tom uh, from New Jersey, Tom Oliver, and I were camping with our families out in western Connecticut because my wife and I lived in Connecticut at that point. And we uh, we went to the Housatonic River. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't sure what to, what to fish for. So we went to a fly shop, and they said it was in August. And they said, uh, oh, definitely the white flies. And you, you do it exactly at dusk. And, uh, and we went down and had a great time, and it was a really neat hatch. 
And those flies have been in my vest for the last, you know, since 1983. <laughs> and I haven't used them since, you know. And so yeah. many times if I'm feeling i got to go with everything, then I want my vest so I've got every possible fly and every possible contingency covered. That's very different for me than just grabbing my backpack and saying, you know what, what I come across, I'm going to come across and, and I'll do the best I can. And, you know, and when I say what if we come across, I'm not just talking – uh, trout. Also, I'm talking, you know, bluegills, bass, you know, whatever it might be. So I'm, I do carry a few very small cork poppers and, you know, and things of that nature for bass and uh, try to try to be as, you know, inclusive as I can. And and you know when I when I do that with my fly box, I try not to have a million flies. I try to just you know pick the three or four dry flies that are the most important to me. Maybe in a couple of sizes. And I've got one that I'm really partial to and. You know, that's the one I would, would definitely hold on to. And I'm, I'm partial to, to traditional wet flies. I don't know why. I just like them. I like tradition, and I like, uh, you know, the history of some of them, so I enjoy them. I like streamers and, uh, you know, a few nymphs and then a couple of bass flies, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's interesting because there's literally, literally thousands and thousands of fly patterns out there and uh, nowadays that, that you can mm-hmm. collect. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but then, you know, for instance, um, uh, I, I was down here at the North Platte River one day and talking to a, a, a guy there, and uh, he said, uh, and so I've got my full vest on, of course, you know, and all these fly boxes mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> He's right there with um, this little box about the size, it wasn't even as big, as, about two-thirds the size of your cell phone, and I don't mean the big cell phones, I mean the smaller cell phones. Right. And... Um, and, you know, and he probably he opened it up and he says, this is all I ever carry. And he's got, like, 25 flies in there, you know. And uh, right, right. <laughs> I almost felt foolish, you know. He says, and I always catch fish. You know, he's a little proud of that. But um, right, but right. there was, a, you know, his, his approach to simplicity, you know, of more about fishing than the fly. You know, the presentation many times is right. more important than the fly. Um, and, um, and then there was... Uh, I just interviewed Doug Gibson up on the Henry's Fork. He's, he's uh, done over 4,000 guide trips on the Henry's Fork, and he basically has about six different patterns he uses. That's it, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And it, it, <laughs> you know, and he's been doing that for 4,000 trips, and it works for him. So there, there's something to be said for simplicity, for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's sometimes, I mean, it, it started to occur to me uh, once is like. Flies work for different reasons. I mean, sometimes they work because they do match the hatch, and we all seen that, and that's that's exciting when that happens. But sometimes a fly that you just like, you fish with more confidence because you like it, and maybe you have more confidence because it's worked, or maybe it works because you have more confidence. I don't know which it is, <laughs> but I know that there's a couple of those flies that I am partial to for that reason, and you do. You know, those are the ones I start off with when I don't see anything else happening. Yeah, and... Uh and every guy, every fly fisher I talk to always talks about those confidence flies, you know. Well, these always mm-hmm. work for me, so if all else fails, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. And, um, right. and, and more times than not, they do catch fish. You do have to have um, different expectations, I would think, uh, when you're backpack fly fishing, right? I mean, in other words, yeah, you may not be out yeah, to you get have the biggest trout in the lake because you can't reach them Absolutely. or, you know, things like that, right? right? No, you're absolutely right. It is different expectations. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of get to the point, Roger, where I, I decided that the worst that could happen 
was I'd get someplace. Well, the worst that could happen is I could fall in or I could hurt myself. But the, but the you know the worst that could happen fishing wise is I get someplace and I see that they're hitting on something I just don't have. But if that happens, then I have something that'll make me excited about coming back another time. So if nothing else, I've learned to spot, and I've learned a little bit along the way. And so I, I do have different expectations that way. Then I have to have everything in my possession that I, you know, that I might need. The other thing too is you have to kind of work around limitations. Because when I, when I, uh, you know, grab my backpack, I typically, I mean, I never carry any waders. I do. I have tried to pick up a pair of wading sandals, you know, that I can just slip on if I need to. But, you know, even that many times I don't have with me, it may, I just may be wet waiting, you know, just take my shoes off or whatever. So that creates limitations, and you have to kind of just work your way around the limitations. And then, again, if you see, like, if I come to a, you know, a really nice fast lake and they're hitting further out than I can get, then that's something I can note and say, well, maybe another time I'll come back with a canoe, you know, and try it then. Right. And so I'm okay with that. I'm okay, you know, on those times because, again, I'm usually combining it with something else. And and as I said, when I grab my backpack, you know, I would say probably, you know, a good 40% of the time I don't even fish. I'm just have it. It's just in case, you know. And uh, yeah. and I found when I have it, then and I, you know, when I don't have it, that's when I come across a great place. <laughs> so that's when yeah. I finally decided just just keep it there, you know. And, and it, it isn't even like preparing for a specific trip. It's just there with its generic set of flies and it's. You know, it's a fly rod and reel, and uh, and then if I need it, I just grab it. Yeah, yeah. Um, time to take a quick break here, Dan. So if you'll hang tight, I'll be right back, and then we'll continue right. we're talking about backpack fly fishing. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market, as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They're best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Dan Steer about backpack fly fishing. If you'd like to ask Dan a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, um, Dan, you, in your book, you have a method that you like to um, use when fishing, when backpack fishing. So, uh, and you call it the ASCAL or ASCAL method, um, an acronym. So, can you explain that method to us and, and how you use it to to uh, to increase your chances of catching more fish? Sure. Um, when I wrote uh, this book, I, I decided I had some different audiences I was, you know, sort of aiming for. Some were people like myself who already fly fish but wanted to kind of get back to basics and, you know, kind of unencumber a little bit. But others might be people who are new to it or maybe were spin fisher, uh, you know, spin fishermen who who hadn't really tried fly fishing a whole lot 
but might like to try it in this way. And so I wanted somebody would make it kind of a, an easy way to remember what exactly you do, regardless of whether you're fishing for trout or bass or, or whatever. And to me, when I, I kind of reflected back on you know everything I'd learned about fly fishing, it all kind of came down to, to you know to five things. And one of them is is you need to approach a body of water. And there's some different things that you know we've all learned about that about keeping a low profile and you know trying to assess what you see when when you know the conditions of the water are visible to you to try to figure out where the seams might be if it's a stream or if it's a bass lake where the the likely you know the lies might be for a good bass or or bluegill whatever. And then, based on that, you know, selecting fly that has some chance of working. Now, again, in this uh, uh, in this approach that I've been using, uh, the selection part, I don't carry a lot of flies, so it's going to be, you know, the best thing I can find, you know, given the limitations of my of my collection. Um, the casting part is is as it sounds, just getting the fly out there as close as you possibly can to where you think the the fish might be. The A part is the animation part. And one of the parts, of the things that I really like about fly fishing is sometimes we dead drift things like a, you know, a, a dry fly that you want to look naturally floating on the water. But other times, you know, I really enjoy animating flies, making them do something underwater. That's why I really, I think, gravitate so much to streamers and to traditional wet flies because it's, it's really fun to animate a fly and to then, you know, see it, see it trigger a response from a fish that, you know, sees it as a fleeing other fish or an insect of some type. And then the landing part obviously comes down to whatever kind of fish you're you're landing, and it's going to be very different whether you're landing a you know a good sized trout, you know, uh, or you're trying to land a largemouth bass, you know, by holding its lip, or trying to hold a land a bluegill, making sure to avoid the the dorsal spines, which can really hurt. So you have to kind of learn how to how to handle each fish differently. Again, I when I you know carry in my backpack, I don't carry a net or anything of that nature, so. Um, you know, the landing part may actually be as simple as trying to release the hook from the fish so he doesn't leave the water, which is why one of many reasons why, of course, like a lot of people, I use barbless hooks or, you know, crimp down the barbs of the hooks. So, so the Ask Cal method is it's sort of just a silly acronym that I, you know, use just to kind of remember those five steps, that in any situation, you know, you're uh, approaching water and assessing what it looks like, you're selecting a fly as the best chance, you know, you're casting, you're trying to animate the fly or, or let it dead drift, whatever you think makes sense. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to catch something to, to land and then release a fish, and obviously release, because uh, I do believe very firmly in catch and release fishing. Yeah, and uh, it seems like, you know, well, the approach I'm reading, uh, one of uh, Landon Mayer's books right now on uh, uh, sight fishing, you know, and he's talking a lot about uh, uh, you know the approach and how important that is, and I would think that's for a success factor in, in backpack fly fishing that that would be really important too because you may not have a lot of time to fish, uh, you may that's not right. have a lot of opportunity. In other words, uh, I know in your book you talk about some of the lakes you come to. You know, there's, you can't get around some of these lakes very well. Um, that's know, right. You don't have a lot of chances to to make a cast, so I, I would think approach would be really important oh absolutely and and i've made uh you know for each of those five steps i've made so many mistakes in the past you know over the 30 years or so that i've been fishing and so you know it's the kind of thing that after a while it starts to get through my head my thick head and start to say okay slow down a little bit when you approach keep it low you know try not to you know to step too heavily and because you may not have another chance you know particularly in 
little tiny streams and you know i'm really lucky to live where i live now in the poconos and you know there's some well-known you know pretty famous streams around here but there's a lot of little ones and uh you know where you might come to a very small pool and that may be your one shot and uh you know and and if you you know come on it too quickly and you loom over it you know trout in particular they know when it looks like danger and so they're going to zip be under a rock before you even know it and there's goes your chance right. so you're right you know the approach part is very very important what uh what type of fish have you fished for um, most often when you're backpack fly fishing yeah typically it's freshwater fish i mean i've done a little bit of saltwater fishing um you know mostly just right from the shore and coves and so forth and so on but primarily it's been freshwater fishing and i think it's you know, probably split about, a split about 50-50 between cold water, you know, trout and uh, and bass and bluegills and, you know, pickerel, things of that nature. Um, depends where I'm going, obviously. And, you know, uh, one of the destinations that, you know, we've been to many times as a family and love is uh, Cape Breton Highlands National Park up in Nova Scotia, the far top, you know, uh, lobe of Nova Scotia. And it's a beautiful beautiful wild area up there and pretty much exclusively what they have up there are, are small brook trout or as they call them up there speckled trout so that you know if i'm up in that area that's what i'm fishing for because there really isn't anything else that you would be going for up in that environment but um otherwise you know it depends on the the situation and i really do kind of split it you know between you know cold water and uh, and warm water fishing and, and like them both equally to be very honest and uh, you know i find I really do find all fish beautiful, and I, uh, you know, find them interesting, and and so to me it's sort of fun to fish different environments for different types of fish. Do you um, do you have a, a lot of um, lakes in in Pennsylvania for bass and, and sunfish and things like that, or is that yeah we do we have we do okay. yeah we do we have uh, we have quite a few number of lakes that are are very nice and some you know I fish fairly regularly at my canoe uh, with my wife and she'll. She'll bring her, you know, her camera and do some photography and, and birding, and I'm in the back doing some, some fishing. And uh, and it's a slightly different from backpack fly fishing in that I have a different pack, but it's pretty much the <laughs> same thing. I'm just going to hand handful of flies, and I'm doing it that way. But but many times, you know, but that's a little bit more complex because you're using the canoe and so forth. A lot of times I just fish from shore and uh, just, you know, fish whatever is close to shore. But, yeah, there's some nice lakes in this area. And I, I feel really lucky, quite honestly, living where we live, because I can, I can be on a uh, uh, stream right near my house that's got the wild brook and brown trout in it and has had it for 30 or, years or so, and, and that's uh, about 15 minutes from my house. And then we've got some bass lakes that are, you know, a little bit further away, but not too far, you know, and, uh, you know, within about half an hour you can be on, on some nice water and, and again, I just you know, depending on what we're looking for and, and you know how we're what where we want to hike, what we want to do that day, if there's any good birding that we expect on the lakes, and you know you sometimes see some tremendous, tremendously interesting birds on the lakes. Some of the, and I've I've learned you know to really pay attention to them, things like ospreys and kingfishers, and you know who are the real fisher people as far as I'm concerned. You know they really know right. how to fish. Yeah, yeah. Um, Phil uh, wrote in here on the internet. He says, "Have you been surprised by catching larger fish than you anticipated in some of the locations you hiked to?" Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I have. I won't say that I catch a giant one every time because I haven't. But I have occasionally caught something that I, uh, you know, was was not anticipating and that was sort of a surprise to me. And uh, and and sometimes not just size, but just different types of fish. You know, that I uh, didn't expect. I was. 
you know, a couple of years ago I was on one of the lakes I like near here and fishing, and I just had on, uh, you know, I was just trying a few casts, and I tried a bass, you know, popper, nothing was happening. So I just put on a, a small nymph, you know, I was just kind of prospecting more than anything else, and suddenly got into a, a little uh, school of crappies, and they were nice, you know, and I really didn't even know they lived there, to be honest, you know, so uh, it was sort of fun to, to, to have that occur. So I like the surprise factor of it all. It really can be really interesting that way. Yeah, and it's not. I would think you're this kind of fishing. You're you're not really going after trophy fish. You know, it's just no have fun and have the experience and enjoy the day, right? More, that's ex- more, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. There's a, a really nice area around here uh, where we where I live um, along both sides of the Delaware River in this area for about 25 miles north of uh, Stroudsburg, which is our you know, our uh, county seat, is uh, something called the uh, uh, Delaware Water Gap National Recreation Area. It was formed when they were originally going to dam the Delaware River and create a big lake and make it a big resort thing. And, uh, and you know, environmentalists won out that argument a number of years ago. So now that area has been all preserved, which is very beautiful, and uh, a lot of beautiful areas there. So, you know, a couple of years ago, my family and I were hiking along a very small stream, uh, you know, very small, and came to a little pool, and I figured, hey, I'll give it a try, and took a couple of casts, because it looked like it undoubtedly would hold some trout, and it caught something, and at first I saw it was not a trout, and at first I, I'll admit a tiny bit of disappointment. It was a golden shiner, but you know what? The more I looked at it, I said, that's kind of a pretty fish, you know, and, and it was something <laughs> yeah. I would, would not have done if I hadn't had my backpack with me, and so I was not golden shiner fishing that day, and it certainly wasn't a trophy, <laughs> and it wasn't a trout, but it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it, yeah. you know, and, and that's sort of the philosophy I try to maintain. So, so yeah, occasionally yeah. I'll come across something nice, but uh, but mostly, yeah, it's smaller stuff. Uh, Dan in Miami uh, wrote in, and he says, what do you think of six- or seven-piece rods? Uh, small and great for packing, but I have heard many fly anglers complain uh, they think the action is compromised. You know, um, Dan, I, I really haven't had any experience with those, so I really can't give any good advice about them. Um, I, I mean, I do, I've seen ads for them, and I, I think they are neat, how small they can be, but, but I have, don't have any firsthand experience with, the, with them. I mean, the one that I have that I use for, that I keep in my backpack all the time is a, a six-piece rod. You know, it's Cortland, and, uh, and I, I really like it. It's not particularly expensive, and, uh, and it's worked fine for me, but I, I'm not sure about the, uh, you know, the seven-piece ones. But the one I have is fine, you know, the six-piece, but... Beyond that, I don't have a lot of experience with the other companies. Yeah, yeah. And you figure you find that the action on your six piece is, is good enough for, for what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that if someone perhaps was used to, uh, you know, uh, $700 fly rods and, you know, fishing big water, maybe they would find it a little bit lacking. But, again, for the purposes of what I'm doing, I'm usually not making tremendously long casts. I'm not, uh, you know, fishing big water typically. So that I find it fine. I think it's been a, you know, a good setup for me. Yeah. Um, you know, the the past, what, oh, six years or so, I guess, uh, now, uh, Tenkara has become, you know, a big uh, player in the market for simplistic fly fishing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. rod, no reel. Uh, simple flies, a lot of wet flies, like you were talking about. Is that something you've used or explored? And you know, do you have any pros or cons about using them? 
You know, I have I've never done it, so I really can't give you a okay. pros and cons from a first-hand experience. Um, it kind of fits, you know, <laughs> with the, what I like, and so uh, yeah. you know, maybe somewhere down the line, I'll I'll have to try uh, try something like that. Um, I'm a member of our local, uh, you know, uh, the board of directors of our local Trout Unlimited organization, and one of my you know, colleagues on that board was telling me, I think, that he tried it. And I remember thinking, that sounds interesting. You know, when it sort of fits in with the way I like to do things sometimes. And, you know, so I'll have to, you know, pick his brain a little bit about how, how he felt about it and so forth. But personally, again, I have not had that experience yeah. to, to try yeah, well, it. Yeah, it does fit the, the, the profile. I mean, it, it's collapsible. You don't even have to put it together. Right. And there's no reel. <laughs> you are yeah, limited yeah. by how far you can cast. But, uh, 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 yeah. But, uh, but it, it does get a, a another level of simpler, I suppose, than, yeah, yeah. than carrying a reel. So, so Richard in Albuquerque asks, um, what's been your most uh, difficult challenge in getting all your gear into a single uh, pack? <laughs> That's a good question. I think the uh, you know the biggest challenge, quite honestly, uh, you know, Richard has been that is to keep myself limited to the pack that I use. And what I mean by that is that, as I said at the, uh, you know, at the top of the show, I, I use a fairly small pack that, you know, would be, it's probably small even by some kids carrying their books to school, you know. It's not that big a pack. And it would be very easy for me to go down a slippery slope of buying a bigger pack or a pack with more, more you know, pockets in it and so forth. And, you know, we've all seen the, the ones that are, you know, for sale now. Some of them are incredible, but they're almost as complex as a vest, you know, they convert into a vest and they've got all these different pack, you know, attachments. And I try, you know, pretty specific, I don't have nothing against those. I just don't want to do it. So, um, you know, for me, it's really a matter of just kind of getting things, you know, that I can fit into the pack. And, um, you know, sometimes it gets a little crowded if I have to bring an extra, you know, a raincoat or an extra, you know, shirt if it's going to be chilly outside. That might get a little crowded or if I want to cram my water bottle in there. So, you know, but but typically, if I've got my fly rod and you know my reel and everything, it's it's okay. It's not huge, a huge challenge for me. As I mentioned, I did you know pick up a pair of wading sandals, and sometimes I'll t- take them. But sometimes they, quite frankly, they just don't fit, and so they get left out. You know, yeah. and that that may be the challenge. And if I come to a place where it's like, man, I wish I had them, then once again, I'd say it's okay. You know, like it was just you know. Uh, you know, going in my uh, my bare feet, or I'll just say, hey, what the heck? You know, that's that's what I got today. So it has not been a huge challenge for me because I'm not going on, you know, real long hikes. And you know, and that's also a big part of this. If people are, you know, want to do this kind of approach, but really are serious, you know, hikers, and you know, carrying a pack that's got their tent and everything else, well, then weight obviously is a big challenge. Now I haven't done that, and uh, my wife did that in her younger years, and. So I've learned from talking to her and from other people who are serious backpackers that, you know, the, the issue of weight is a, you know, tremendously important consideration, in which case then you really have to cut back. And if you are going to take a fly rod, then just, you know, a smallest box of flies you can, the lightest weight reel you can, and then, a, you know, a small a small fly rod that you can strap to your backpack in some ways. But, again, for me, I'm doing more day, day hiking, and so it's really that is not as big an issue. Yeah, uh, Jim in Cincinnati and Thomas in Texas were both asking questions about footwear. You know, do you bring wading boots? Um, so you said you bring sandals. Do you, do you ever bring wading boots uh, or any other? Uh, I know, you know, well, like Corkers makes a convertible, you know, uh, yeah. wading boot where you can have a hiking sole and then a wading sole or whatever. So Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I've got several pairs of waders, I, and I use those typically when I know I'm, I'm going to a stream and I'm bringing my vest and, you know, the whole nine yards, then I'll wear those. But uh, but if I'm just taking my backpack, then typically no. You know, I don't think I've ever brought a pair of waders with me. The most I've, I've brought are, you know, a pair of hiking or of wading sandals. That's it, you know, and uh, and that's the that's it most. Otherwise, I don't. I just don't bring them. You know, I figure I'll cast from shore. I'll, I'll just I'll wade in and, you know, bring an extra pair of socks, you know, <laughs> just in case. You get wet, yeah. and, you know, a little bit, and uh, um, and I, I carry a lot of bandanas just because, you know, they're you, you need them, you know, and uh, and so, uh, but that's it. No, otherwise I don't. I don't carry waders. Do you ever pack in a float tube or some kind of flotation uh, device? No, no, I haven't. Again, uh, you know, as I said, my uh, experiences I keep it pretty minimalist, so I have not done that, and. Um, Again, you know, I might come to a place and later say, man, that would be a real nice place to have one, uh, but uh, I have not packed one in that way. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what do you, you know, besides your your rod and reel and, and your flies, what, what other uh, gear do you, do you bring along? Um, you know, a bunch of leaders, and, uh, you know, because they're very light, you know, and I typically carry just some, uh, you know, fours and, you know, fives maybe, you know, around that, you know, five X's about that that level. Um, you know, I have a, a pair of uh, nippers that I kind of just attach to the outside of my pack just because I am changing flies sometimes and want to make sure I have that handy. I bring some other stuff that don't aren't related to fly fishing. If I can, uh, I bring a camera, I have a small digital camera, just because I enjoy taking photographs and, uh, you know, sometimes you can get some interesting shots of both lakes and, you know, and, and then fish if you're fortunate enough to catch some. Sometimes I'll bring a pair of binoculars, you know, but I'll be carrying that around my neck. So it's, you know, again, I'm thinking kind of when I'm doing this, I'm thinking I'm out there hiking and, uh, you know, I might be doing some bird identification. I might be, you know, doing some identification of trees or whatever, and I might be doing some fishing. So it's not exclusively fishing equipment that I'm necessarily carrying with me. You know, some some block, you know, would make sense. I think I carry a very small uh, first aid kit with a couple of band-aids in it and things of that nature. But, you know, pretty much that's pretty much that's it. And a license, of course. Yeah, yeah. Do you take um, different gear depending on the location that you're going to fish? And, uh, I suppose it depends. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. It depends a little bit on the situation. Um, if I'm, I kind of think about, you know, with backpack fly fishing, I kind of divide it into sort of two area, you know, kind of general categories for me. One is we're going to go someplace, and I really don't know if I'm going to fish or not. And you know, as I was saying earlier, so I'm just grabbing my pack. In which case, I just have my generic box, and that's all I keep in there. If we're going someplace else, like for example, when we went to uh, Cape Breton Highlands National Park, as I mentioned before. It's exclusively brook trout. And uh, so I, you know, probably carry a few more wet flies because that's what I found up there is really what all you pretty much need, you know, is a handful of traditional wet flies. And so I made sure to carry enough of those but because I knew I was specifically going to that place. So if I know I'm going someplace specific, I might throw a couple of additional flies into my fly box that would reflect that. But, you know, other than that, I'm, I'm you know, if I'm just kind of the grab-and-go type of my fly, you know, fishing, then I just grab the pack and, and then see what I counter, and then once I'm there, I'll say, okay, well, what's in the pack, and what can I use that might might have some effect in this in this particular situation? Yeah, uh, Phil in uh, Kentucky was asking about um, 
what non-routine items do you carry on your trips because you have come to regret their absence when they are not with you? Um, and I know I, I kind of know what he means because, you know, when you're whether you're backpacking or even when you're car camping, you know, uh, I mean, I have uh, lists. <laughs> I have my checklist. Yes. <laughs> and I told my kids, like, I might not leave you much, but you're going to have my checklist, <laughs> my outdoor checklist, <laughs> yeah. which are, you know, really invaluable. So, uh, you know, is there? It, it, it sounds like you have your attitude right and about this because. Um, it, it's hard to get loose of, of those expectations that we have when we're fly fishing in other environments. You know what I mean? Um, right, right. And, and it's like, God, I really wish I would have brought that bandana. <laughs> you know, or something. Yeah, right. uh, uh, you know, and next time it's going on the checklist. You know, so but that yep. just means you and, end up and, having more gear most of the time. So that's exactly right. And I, I tried just to pack the pack and leave it packed. If you know what I mean. So it yeah. isn't like I take it apart and then have to pack it back up. It's just there, and it's always there, you know, hanging in my garage ready to go, and uh, that's pretty much what I use. But you're, you're absolutely right. There are so many expectations, and I, I know that slippery slope sometimes of wanting more and more. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example. Uh, a, a number of years ago when we were up at, again, at Cape Breton Highlands National Park, beautiful, beautiful area, you know, up in Canada if anybody ever gets to go there. I love it. I mean, the fish aren't huge, but the environment is just so beautiful and uh, wild it, Reminds me of my home state of Rhode Island in the early 1950s. It's just a gorgeous, you know, gorgeous area. And, and the park itself is like the highlands of Scotland. It's just, you know, mists and moose and everything. It's just a beautiful place. And uh, um, But I remember there's a, a little stream up there at the top of the park, very small little brook called McIntosh Brook. Uh, it's barely got fishable water, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, it's so small and the trout are so small. But the hike, which is about, you know, a little less than a mile, you hike in, and uh, um, and it ends on a, on a falls with a kind of a larger pool at the base of the falls, and it's very pretty, very pretty. And I've I've fished there a few times, and you know, and it's the kind of thing you, you're sharing it with other people there who are there and taking that hike too. And they're not all fishermen, so if you get a chance to take a few casts, it's it's great. And uh, if you get a chance to catch a couple of trout, it's really fun. And uh, but I remember a couple of years ago we were coming out having taken that hike. And we passed a couple of guys who were about to go in and start the hike. And I don't know if they'd never been there before or read about it or whatever, but they, they both had on, you know, uh, lightweight chest waders with the wading belt and, you know, and shorty vests and, uh, you know, ex- you know, very expensive fly rods. And they were armed to the teeth, you know, for, for fly fishing for trout. And the, this, and it really struck me because this little brook is so small; it really doesn't require that. You know, you can you can walk in in a pair of sneakers and a and a pair of shorts as long as you get a fly rod with a couple of flies. That's all you need, you know. And so it it kind of hit me. And again, nothing against them. I mean, they have every right to use whatever they wanted, but you really didn't need it in that environment. But probably they were thinking, "I'm fly fishing; I have to have all my fly gear." And I know that feeling. <laughs> so this, yeah. you know, this approach has been. In some ways, my my kind of efforts to get away from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, take another quick break here, Dan, and um, when we come back. We'll talk about some of the flies you have in that little fly box, so that uh, sure. we can uh, steal your secrets there. So uh, we'll be sure. right back. Looking for that shot at a permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. 
with Reiki is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipRayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Dan Steer about backpack fly fishing. If you'd like to ask Dan a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So um, talking about flies, Dan, um, uh, Tim uh, in, from Oregon wrote in, and he asks, uh, when you choose flies for a trip, what are your limits? Do you use conventional fly boxes, or is there a more compact way to carry them? Well, in terms of the fly box, you know, Tim, what I, I use is a, a box that my, my younger son gave me a number of years ago. It's a, a little box with a two side, one of those little two-sided boxes. And one side has got like ripple foam in it, then the other side has got a couple of little compartments. And it's not very large, and I try to, to limit it to that. Um, and I, I find I can carry a sufficient number of flies with that. Um, and uh, as I said, if I'm going on a specific trip someplace else, I might add a little bit more to it. But that's that's pretty much all I use in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the fly box itself. It has its natural limitations of size, so I'm, it's certainly far less than I would carry in my vest, where I've got numerous boxes, each one of them full of, you know, uh, a gazillion flies. It seems like so. Plus, I'm also many times carrying, you know, not only flies that would be specific to trout, but also ones that would be maybe attractive to, to bass or other fish in there as well. So I'm thinking a little more generic when I do it. Um, the types of flies I use, you know, what I, I typically do is think of the ones that, you know, that I just like the best and try to limit it to that. So, for example, for dry flies, I think, you know, the one that I absolutely love the, the best is a caddis imitation. And it's a variation of the Henryville Special. I first read it about it in a, a fly time book, my first fly time book, and I just liked it. I thought it was kind of a pretty looking fly. The only thing I didn't like was the wing material. It was a little bit tricky for me to to uh, tie with, which was a you know a duck quill, and it would split and you know and become a little more difficult. And then later, as I've gotten older and my eyesight's not quite as good, I found the kind of gray you know slate gray wing was not as visible, particularly in smaller sizes. So I started substituting. Uh, kind of like a little white, you know, tuft of white antron um, onto the for the wing, and it, it makes it visible for me, makes it easier to tie, and makes it more durable. I know a lot of people like the the El um, uh, caddis, but I I like the Henryville Special, or you know, with that that hair wing. I like that a lot, and I like caddis flies because when I'm out doing backpack fly fishing, I'm often you know on water that you know where there's no major hatch going on. But there's almost always some caddis fly, you know, that are surfacing or hatching sporadically and, you know, trout going after them. So I really like having that fly. I also carry an Adams in a couple of sizes and I think a light Cahill. And that's about it for for dry flies that I use, you know, and figuring that if I do them in some different sizes, that's probably more important to me than having, you know, multiple uh, patterns. So, for example, the the, uh, the Henryville, I like a size 18, 
but also maybe one about 14. So something a little bigger, something a little bit, a little bit smaller to, that maybe will, uh, you know, be interesting to fish. If for streamers, I like some of the traditional ones like, uh, like a black ghost. I like a gray ghost. I think they're kind of interesting streamers and I like them a lot. Uh, you know, a brown and white bucktail streamer. I do think of uh, one of the more modern flies, even though I tend to gravitate towards older flies. I do like, uh, you know, the uh, the woolly bugger. That's been very effective for such a wide range of fish. I do carry a couple of those and not very big sizes. And, uh, um, and another one I learned about in a book from uh, uh, written in Quebec, I think, was a, a fly I'd never heard of uh, called the Chief Nidaba. And so sort of a red and white, uh, red and yellow pattern, you know, kind of a, Nicky Finn type of thing. It's a very pretty little hair wing, uh, feather wing fly, I should say. And I like that for, for streamers as well. For wet flies, I tend to like the, you know, some of the traditional ones. You know, the Dark Cahill, the Professor, I like that fly. Um, if nothing else, because I used to be a professor. So, you know, when it's an attractor fly, I like that. Um, you know, I like a, an, an orange and partridge. That's a nice fly. You know, so that, again, a couple. So, I'm, you know, you get the idea. I'm thinking like maybe, three or four in each category in a couple of different sizes. Uh, for nymphs, you know, a hare's ears nymph, you know, and a pheasant tail, those are the two that I like the best. I also like a, a Montana stonefly nymph. I like that. But those are the three I would go in that area. A lot of these obviously cross over for bass as well, from fishing for bass, you know, and, and for bluegills as well. I do carry a couple of um, cork, you know, small cork poppers for fishing for bass. I like those. There's a fly that I read about in a book called Fly Fishing for Large Bluegills by Terry and Roxanne Wilson, I believe the author's names are. Really good book, to be honest with you. And in there, they talked about a fly called the Wilson's Bully, uh, you know, or what was it called? Bully uh, Bluegill Spider or something like that. It's a funny little fly. It, it looks basically like a, you know, a little weighted fly with a little bit of chenille and a couple of rubber legs up at the eye, kind of like a mustache. And I remember looking at it, and they swore by this fly. So, it, of course, it was not available in any fly shops. So I just tied it from uh, from the, uh, you know, the pattern in the book. And, you know, I've had a lot of success with that. You know, it's just really kind of a funny-looking fly, but I I really enjoy it. So I carry a couple of those because, you know, they work. You know, they, they've been effective. So that's pretty much it in terms of flies that I carry. And, uh you know, again, if I'm going someplace special that I know that I might want to carry something different, I'll, you know, of course, maybe put a couple in there. But for my kind of every day-to-day, you know, collection, that's pretty much what I have. Yeah, yeah. A couple thoughts come to mind. Um, from uh, And, by the way, I did some interviews with uh, Wilson on bass and panfish, hmm. I suppose, yeah. So, um, yeah, I know their book. and uh, um, But a couple things that come to mind is that people do, and, uh, people that want to do backpack fly fishing could do as well is, um, you know, be prepared to, to modify the flies you do have, you know. Um, yes. Or, for instance, you know, you could tie an Adams pattern in, um, in a kind of a neutral color and then just bring a couple of, you know, an olive marker, a black marker, and a brown marker, you know. And mm-hmm. you can kind of cover the gamut of what they might be. The other thing that I know a lot of people do is just, Take the clippers and, you know, if they're coming on emergers or something, just clip off the yep. bottom of the hackles, you know, and make a few modifications. Yep. So you can get a lot out of, you know, a couple of flies by doing things like that. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right, and and it's uh, and that's the you know the fun of uh, fly tying, which is part of fly fishing, but it's almost a separate you know uh, enjoyment as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, you could tie flies and never fish, I guess, because it is fun. It's an engaging thing to do. But the thing that I like about it is it's creative. You know, it allows yeah. you to to try different things, and uh, you know, and I I really like that creativity side of it. Um, I mentioned I have two sons, and when they were both younger, they both kind of took an interest because I was always tying flies in the living room, and, uh, you know, they were interested, and they both, you know, when they were pretty young, uh, both wanted to, to see if they could learn to tie flies, and uh, and so we tried some, and then my younger son, in particular, wanted to design his own flies, so he, uh, you know, came up with very creative patterns, and, and then my older son wanted to get in on that, so he created a pattern, and, and I carry two of their patterns with me all the time, and they're You'll never find them anywhere else but in my fly box, but they both work. You know, I've got trout on them both, and, uh, you know, they're colorful streamers that were, you know, devised by an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old. And uh, wow. But I like that. I like the creative aspect of, of uh, you know, doing that. And uh, as a matter of fact, my younger son, I think, tried to develop a fly that was had a little, you know, a bit of bucktail sticking out the front and kind of flipped up like a hairstyle, and he wanted to call it the Elvis Presley at the time. And uh, so, you know, we can... <laughs> You know, you can be really creative, and I think that that's that's a you know a very good point you make. You can modify. Uh, you don't have to be a slave to patterns. You can, you know, change materials to make it easier for you, or to make it easier for you for you to see a fly or to cast it, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the the doing it on the fly, so to speak. You know. Yes. Is, yes. You know, uh, the next level of creativity. So, um, uh, like you say, you know, if you. If you're out there and there's something you don't have, you know, how can you adapt something in the box to to make that right. come somewhat closer, you know, trim it down or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, lots of ways you can do that. So, um, yeah, well, that's still quite a few flies that you mentioned, you know, when you think about it. That's pretty good. And you have yeah. some of the, the ones that are, that I've probably caught the most fish on in my life, things like Adam's here, right. here and, and, you know, pheasant tail. I mean, those, and, of course, some kind of caddis imitation, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, with even those four flies, you're, you're kind of good to go, <laughs> you know. I mean, exactly. A lot, a lot of scenarios, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the next step of simplicity is obviously just carrying a little box and putting it in your shirt pocket. You know, if you want to even become more uh, simplistic than backpack fly fishing, it's just shirt pocket fly fishing, you know, yeah, just, you that's go. all you're carrying. And and uh, it really just comes down to, you know, I, you know, we are sometimes so, you know, uh, ingrained in our, our minds that we have to take everything with us just in case. And, uh, you know, I think you have to kind of just kind of get away, as we've said tonight, you know, kind of get away from that thinking and, you know, kind of convince yourself it's going to be all right. You know, I have a lot of faith in yeah. these flies. They've caught fish in a wide variety of situations, and and if I learn that there's a one that's just as good or a better one, then great. So maybe someday I'll add it to it. The other thing too is yeah. these fly collections are are very you know individual and personal. You know, I mean, I fish in the east. I fish small water, but if I were fishing out your way, then I might have a different set of flies. You know, and that's okay. You know, and. Uh, or uh, you know, if I was around salt water all the time, I'd probably have a you know a couple of clouser deep minnows and a couple of you know eat the uh, you know glass eel patterns or whatever they're called, you know the kind of epoxy eels and uh, a couple of those things. That's probably what I would be carrying there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and I think it all again comes down to um, the reason you know when we do the the bigger fishing trips and we have all the gears, we we don't want to miss out. 
You know what I mean? Right. We don't want to miss an right. opportunity. It, it's just like when they're having a sale at the furniture store, you know? Get your recliner <laughs> today for $99, you know? We don't want to miss out, you know? And it's right. the same thing with fishing, but, but the, the mindset that you have for, for backpack fly fishing, it's the opposite of that. You know, you reduce your expectations. If you have fun, you have fun. If you don't, you watch the birds, and uh, and you don't get all worked up. <laughs> you know, like we right. do so many right. times. Because <laughs> uh, I know exactly. I do. And, and like you said when we were talking about approach, you know, I think a lot of us who don't fish, you know, every day like some of our guides do and stuff, you know, um, we're excited when we get to the water. You know, we want to we want to let yes. that line right away. And so that comes into play, too, is... Um, uh, you know, it comes back to expectations and how you can manage your expectations. But I need to take another quick break, and then when we come back, I'd like you to share a few of uh, the experiences you've had, you know, uh, backpack fly fishing that were memorable to you. So if you can kind of think about that while I'm on the break, uh, right. and I'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like the Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Upper Delaware in New York and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats, like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged, to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all types of fish and to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join the Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. Org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Dan Steer about backpack fly fishing. If you'd like to ask Dan a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and use the Q&A text box to ask your question. We'll try to answer your question on tonight's show. Um, I did get a, another comment in here from Phil. <laughs> Phil's a longtime listener. He says his wife is listening with me. He says on Saturday she needs a certain shade of blue shoes for her daughter's wedding. Please say how crucial it is to have enough fly fishing gear for use during special <laughs> situations. <laughs> Sorry, Phil, you're on your own, you know. I mean, right, particularly a wedding. And you want to buy more stuff, you know. I don't know. So, right, particularly uh, at weddings. You know, you need to have that fly fishing backpack at a wedding, you know. But uh, yeah, I imagine Phil will be wearing the same pair of shoes he wore at his wedding, you know. So, but, but I'm sure he's got a nice shiny a... reel in mind. Yep. <laughs> and although I will say, once we went to a, a party, it was for uh, you know a very elderly uh, a relative of my wife's, and uh, I knew the big, the whole family was going to be gathering there. But I also knew that that. Uh, this elderly relative lived on a little bass pond, and so I brought my backpack just in case. We were all dressed <laughs> yeah. up. And I, uh, yeah, yeah, and I snuck away from the party for a few minutes and took a few casts and caught a nice bass and then just went back to the party. <laughs> so maybe Phil can do the same thing. <laughs> Smelling a little fishy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, share with us some of the other ones. I know, you know, you've got some experiences on streams and lakes, estuaries and saltwater. 
uh, tell us about a few of your trips that were memorable to you. Sure, sure. Um, uh, let me start again talking about this, uh, you know, this park I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, Cape Breton Highlands. The last time we were there, which is about five years ago, there's a, a real nice little hike on a little stream up there called Corny Brook. Again, you know, speckled trout stream, as they say up there. And uh, I caught a couple of nice, beautiful, beautiful little little brook trout as we had hiked into the deeper into the interior. But then, then when we came back out again, that stream empties directly into the ocean. It's a very interesting area up there. Uh, it isn't like you have small tributaries of bigger streams that go to bigger streams and so forth. Many times it's just smaller streams coming out of the highlands and going directly into the ocean. And so there was a, a pool there. It's a pretty deep pool. Uh, with incredibly cold water. I know both my kids, when they would, were young, would you know try to swim in there, and they could barely tolerate it for a couple of minutes because it was so cold. And that pool empties then directly into the ocean. So it's getting kind of a combination of salt and, and fresh water. And so the last time we were up there, I caught uh, a trout further in that was the perfect you know, uh, colors of a brook trout. And then in that pool by the ocean. I caught uh, another brook trout, but it was very muted gray, and it was, you know, a sea run brook trout. And that was really kind of cool, you know, to take a look at something in the same stream, you know, same species, but different coloration because of the environment. You know, pretty fascinating for me to see that. Um, another I mean, example... You didn't expect to catch that, right? I mean, that not at all. I, you know, as a, as a matter of fact, I, not at all. I didn't expect to catch it at all. And as a matter of fact, my son, uh, my older son, Zach, is a photographer, and he was, you know, with us, um, and he snapped a quick picture, and I released it. And, you know, I wasn't even being very observant, I guess, because I didn't even notice till I got home to Pennsylvania and looked at the photos. It's like, look at the coloration of this thing. It's totally different, but it's identifiably a, a brook trout. It's just a different, you know, different coloration because of the brackish yeah. water. So really kind of a, really kind of a neat you know, unique discovery for me in that situation. Um, yeah, I just uh, you know, I, uh, I just had an interview with Bob Mallard about brook trout, um, and he talks a lot about those coloration changes that brook trout can go yeah. through, um, and in fact can yep. go back upstream and change color. You know, again, uh, they're kind of right. a chameleon of sorts. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, it go was ahead. my first it was my first opportunity for you know to see that, and so that was kind of exciting and. Uh, that park up in Canada, the one thing they do have that's larger is they've got a couple of rivers that, that have uh, Atlantic salmon come in them. And as I said, the last time I was up there, they don't require a guide or anything. And uh, you know, But my chances of catching something are pretty remote, considering that I go there every seven to eight years and you know, fish for maybe 30 minutes, you know, so that the yeah. chance of my catching a salmon are, salmon are pretty remote before the family wants to move along, we take a hike. But I did, I was successful once there to catch a first-year returning salmon, and that was kind of exciting, you know, because, you know, and to just see it and release it, and uh, I consider myself lucky to have had that experience up there as well. Around here for, and uh, speaking of the, the Wilson's, uh, you know, uh, bully bluegill spider. Uh, mm-hmm. I, there's a lake around here that I like a lot, and I was just fishing from shore, and I figured I'd give that fly a, a shot. And uh, in, on almost consecutive casts, I caught a, uh, a fairly nice largemouth bass, a nice-looking uh, bluegill, and then a nice-looking crappie, three different species, all in the same fly, wow. and all, almost one, two, three, you know. And all, wow. you know, yeah. basically I was just standing on shore taking some casts a little bit further out, and they were just there. And uh, and that, to me, was sort of a really fun experience because I didn't know if I was going to catch anything that day, and, you know, I certainly didn't have a boat to get out on the lake or anything. But, you know, it kind of convinced me once again that sometimes it's just the right place at the right time, you know, and uh, 
that I was fortunate that way. In terms of saltwaters, as I said earlier, my uh, experiences are pretty limited. But my uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, and you know my parents, uh, my late parents, had a home right on a harbor in Rhode Island, and. I, quite frankly, I don't even know why. Once I took up fly fishing, it had never even occurred to me to try there. And then, uh, you know, near the end of my mom's life, I was up there quite a bit, and uh, and it occurred to me that, well, why not give it a try? So I, you know, picked up a couple of clouser minnows and tied them up or figured out how to tie them up by looking in a book. And and uh, one of the times I was there, I was in ankle-deep water just at the edge of the, the harbor and took a couple of casts and caught a couple of nice stripers. I mean, not... Not the type that the real serious ones are going out to fish for that are, you know, 30, 40 pounds. Just a couple, you know, 20, 22 inches, but a nice fish, you know, on a fly rod. It was fun for me to do that. So I, I enjoy doing that kind of fishing as well. And, uh, um, you know, so, again, the experiences I've had have been pretty, you know, varied, whether it's uh, trout fishing or warm water fishing or occasional saltwater fishing. I've been fortunate that I've had experiences where that's happened. Now, obviously, those are offset by times where nothing's happened. So I don't want to give yeah. the impression every time I pick up a fly rod, something happens. Many times it doesn't. Many times you take a few casts, there's nothing happening. But you haven't lost anything as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. Sometimes uh, I, I did that the other day. I was fishing on a local creek and went down there mainly to try to test my waders to see if I had mm-hmm. plugged the leak in my waders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I ended up, uh, I, I threw a few casts and, and nothing was happening, and I ended up sitting on a rock there because my waders were leaking still. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, I got that figured out, and uh, but just sitting there on a rock, you know, as the sun was going down, yep. and uh, I just really didn't feel like working it that much. But just sitting there was uh, was really nice. But uh, yeah, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, you don't always have to catch fish to enjoy enjoy the the environment and the situation. Tell me about how you exactly. and your wife find some um, some of these places to go to. It sounds like you're kind of uh, explorers and like to go to new places. So how do you discover Yeah, these? we do. Uh, one of the things that we do is we just look on kind of books that you would think about or being part of your fishing library, but I've started to realize are, you know, books like uh, Guide to Hikes of State Parks. You know, and state parks are often have hikes, and I just kind of read about them and try to figure out which ones go near water and then see if I can cross-reference by finding out something about that water, whether it be a lake or a, a stream or whatever it might be in that way. Obviously, for some of the further things, we've read about them in books or online and decided, hey, let's give that a shot because we've never been up there, but um, see if there's some fishing in that particular area. But a lot of times it's by reading about hikes and about uh, doing other outdoor activities and then just by kind of prospecting, quite frankly, you know, driving around and then, you know, taking day hikes and, you know, going out and doing different things. And, you know, prior to when I didn't really carry a backpack much, I'd come across streams that way and say, man, i got to come back and check this out or lakes, whatever it might be. So we do that quite a bit and, you know, and then decide and, and then look for things that we want to try that are different. I mean, uh, for some reason, even though I live in the east, I've never been to Acadia National Park, so we're scheduled in Maine. So we're scheduled to go up there in, uh, in October. It should be a pretty time of year and, you know, and I understand there's a couple ponds up there that have brook trout in them, and I don't know if I'll be able to catch anything or not, but I'll certainly take my, my backpack with me and, uh, you know, and so try it that way. So it really is kind of just, you know, gathering information by daily, you know, by getting out and doing hikes and, you know, walking around and, you know, listening to other people who are talking about good places to try out and um, and not limiting yourself 
I think a big part of it, too, is not limiting yourself to the well-known waters. There's nothing wrong with them. They're well-known for a reason. You know, they often yeah. are great fishing experiences, and certainly there's times I want to go and try some of the bigger rivers and uh, very fortunate to have fished some of the streams out west, out your way, and, you know, in, in uh, Yellowstone National Park and so forth and in Montana. But, but you know, and it's the same thing around the east. There's some beautiful, you know, well-known streams. But, you know, I look for the ones that aren't all that well-known. And, you know, and yeah. particularly in my home state now, we have a lot that are, you know, little streams that literally might not even have a name, you know, that, that hold fish. Right. And same with ponds, you know, that you come across that are, if you're fortunate enough to be able to fish them, are, are kind of nice. You know, sometimes farm ponds are great. You know, if you can, if you yeah. have, know people who haven't owned a farm and will give you access, then those can be great fun for, for bluegills and, and, uh, and bass in particular. Right, right. I noticed in your book you mentioned uh, Delorme uh, maps as well. And, yes. Um, yeah. I forget who I interviewed, but uh, he brought up that. The, the same maps and uh, maybe want to go out and get one for Colorado, but uh, and you probably do the same thing. But he had mentioned that he he opens the map and looks for streams that have no names, right. just like you said. And, That's right. And then he'll go check them out. You know, they may not be nothing, yeah. anything at all to fish, but he says sometimes he finds some really nice uh, little streams, just like uh, you were talking about that. Um, yeah. Nobody's nobody and there. It, you know. Yeah. Exactly right, and and. And that's sort of an, uh, you know, something I really like to do. It sounds sort of odd, is, but I, I sometimes like just looking at maps. I like old maps that are, you know, show territories before they change and so forth. And, and I like current maps. And so they are kind of fun to just see how the, you know, terrain influences us as, you know, as people. But then, as you said, look for the little blue lines, look for the changes in elevation, try to get a sense of what it's like. And, you know, and that's, uh, and that can be a lot of fun to try it that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, time to wrap things up here. Um, and uh, if you're just hanging with me here, Dan, while well, we give away a few mm-hmm. prizes and give away a copy of your book, and uh, so stick with me just here a few more minutes, and we'll, we'll do just that. Uh, we're going to give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Time Journal and a copy of Dan's book, um, his latest book, Backpack, Fly fishing, so uh, courtesy of Skyhorse Publishing. So stick with us for that as well. Family Ties, that's T-Y-E-S, Family Ties is an organization which uses a shared interest in fly fishing and fly time to enhance youth development and family relationships. They utilize resources in schools, communities, and businesses, and they invite your participation. Go to their website at familyties.com. That's family and then T-Y-E-S. Com. Family Ties, where every fish is a trophy and every kid is a hero. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes. So um, the winners of our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for the tonight's show. Um, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show, and maybe you'll win one of these great prizes we have to give away. And um, like I said, you can uh, do that with the links under on the homepage under the upcoming show there as well. Uh, so the first thing we're going to give away, well, if you are the, the winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. Uh, so we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International, and to learn more about them, go to flyfishersinternational.org. 
flyfishersinternational.org. Again, they support cold water fishing, warm water fishing, salt water fishing, uh, and lots of conservation efforts. So go, go be a part of them if you don't win tonight. So the winner for that is, let me fire up the database here. And um, okay, the winner for that is uh, Evan Jenkins in Colorado. Evan Jenkins. So congratulations, Evan. And uh, I know you'll en enjoy that uh, that membership. And the second thing we're going to give away is a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And uh, that's courtesy of Amato Books. You want to look at a lot of books on fly fishing and fishing and, and periodicals, go to amatobooks.com. Check out what they have to offer there. A lot of great publications. And it looks like our winner for that is Steve Bush in Idaho. Steve Bush in Idaho. So congratulations, Steve. And um, I know you'll enjoy that subscription as well. So now we'll give away a copy of Dan's book, uh, Backpack Fly Fishing, courtesy of Skyhorse Publishing, or kind enough to give us a book uh, to give away as a prize tonight. And um, let me clear my queue here. So I'm going to ask a question. You answer it on the home page of our website in that place where, the, where you can uh, type in questions during the show. Use that same text box to put in your answers here. So um, we'll, uh, we'll go with this. I'll make it easy tonight. And tell me what, um, tell me uh, three, of the, three of the flies that are in uh, Dan's box that he takes with him all the time uh, when he's backpack fly fishing. Okay, so three of the flies. And uh, we'll see. There's a somewhat of a delay here, Dan, uh, mm -hmm. between the time that we talk and the time that they hear us. <laughs> so okay. uh, uh, it takes a minute before I start getting some some responses here. So we'll, uh, refreshing away here, and I'll get an answer here in a minute. Maybe they'll come up with some creative ideas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I got uh, a Henrysville Special, an Adams, and a Willy Booger. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's that's okay. So that's Joyce Deming yeah. in uh, Golden, Colorado. So Joyce, uh, congratulations, and uh, uh, we'll get that uh, book sent out to you from uh, Skyhorse. Uh, I, I will tell you, Joyce, it might be a, a week or two before you get that because uh, they're just getting, uh, Skyhorse told me, they're just getting in a new shipment of, of these books in. So um, they will get that sent out to you as soon as, as, soon as they get them in. So uh, send me, Joyce, in that same text box. Send me your address you want to chip to so we can uh, uh, have that on hand and we'll be all set for that. So. Thanks for playing, and let's see if we get some other words. Uh, okay, yeah, I got uh, uh, bullies, blue, bluegill, spiderfly, Adams, woolly booger. Yeah, that'd be correct, John. But you were just right behind Joyce. <laughs> and, uh, yep, uh, cork popper, bully spider, Adams. Uh, so yeah, we, yeah, people were listening, and uh, we're good to go there. Well, Dan, hey, thanks uh, so much for being on the show tonight, and I appreciate you taking your time out and sharing your experiences and your knowledge with us. It's uh, been a great pleasure. Well, thank you, Roger. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and, uh, and uh, wish you all the best. Okay, great. 
And uh, good fishing out there uh, in Pennsylvania. Huh? And uh, enjoy the fall. You too. Hopefully, you've all found the archive on our website. If you haven't, uh, just look for the link in the top line of our menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows over, well, we have uh, 299 as of tonight, I think, uh, which you can search by by keyword or keyword phrase like trout or tarpon or backpack, uh, things like that, and uh, or a particular river. And uh, So go ahead, check it out and explore it. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you find and uh, uh, lots to learn out there, that's for sure. Our next broadcast will be on September 18th. Uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show I'll interview Pierce Clegg, and our topic for the show will be the Bean, world-renowned steelhead and trout river. Uh, the Bean in uh, British Columbia has long been known as one of the finest steelhead and trout rivers in the world. Pierce Clegg owned and operated Babeen Norlakes Trout Lodge for 30 years. His knowledge of the river is unmatched. Listen in to find out how the river used to be, how it is now, and how it might be in the future. Is it still one of those fisheries you should have on your bucket list? Tune in and find out. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Stackpole Books, Lipray Key Fishing Lodge, Baja Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.